Hello everyone, how are you? Zach Scro from Neighborhood Church here with you today for our final sermon on our Living Fruit Sermon Series, which is self-control. So, if you're following along in a house church, please take out your Sunday Sermon Guide as we will be in Matthew chapter 26, verses 50 through 56, where Jesus is betrayed by Judas. And remember to do the weekly devotions that will help reinforce everything that you learned today. And so you can tell I'm maybe at a little bit different of an angle angle today for uh, recording purposes, but where I usually record just a little bit over, there's a huge sunspot there from a skylight. So I just thought this would be maybe a bit more appeasing to the eye. So let's dive right in on the fruit of self-control. Matin Manser in the Dictionary of Bible Themes describes self-control as the physical and emotional self-mastery, particularly in situations of intense provocation or temptation. So self-control is this ability to control all of oneself, our emotional, physical, and spiritual responses in extremely adverse, severe, and even pressure-filled situations. And as we look at our passage for the day, this was surely an intense time for Jesus. If you recall, Jesus had just got done praying in the garden where he was in so much agony, he sweat as it were great drops of blood. Then he meets his betrayer, Judas, who betrays him with a kiss. Also, there were soldiers that were with bats and they were ready for some sort of skirmish or mini battle to take place. And all of that just occurred right after Jesus prays this most intense prayer in the garden. So you could imagine the emotions that would be swelling inside of you during this time. And Jesus's response is a beautiful illustration of self-control, while Peter's is the exact Opposite. So this passage shows a great comparison of someone who has self-control and someone who doesn't, which begs the ultimate question. How was Jesus able to show self-control and Peter not? Or maybe even, to put it in personal terms, how are some able to show self-control in those adverse, intense situations while others are not? And so in short, here's the answer. Jesus in that particular situation and for others in uh, various situations throughout their day, week, or month, or year are able, especially Jesus in this particular uh, story, are able to control themselves and Peter was not because Jesus knew and lived out of his true self. I'm going to say that again. Jesus was able to have self-control because he knew and lived out of his true self. Think about it. If you want to control yourself, you need to know yourself. In fact, if you don't know your true self, you will never be able to control yourself. So for today, I want you to think of this story kind of as a metaphor. Think of it maybe as the old man versus the new man, or as we often say with much of the language we use, the true self versus the false self. Jesus obviously would be a picture of the true self and Peter would be a picture of the false self. And if you can remember, all the way back, it's almost been a year to September of 2020, when we went through Pete Scazzaro's EHS study as a group of house churches, he quoted M. Robert Mulholland Jr.'s idea about the true self, the true self, that, and I'm going to quote this for you, living your God-given life involves remaining faithful to yourself. 
it entails distinguishing your true self from the demand from demand from the demands and voices around you and discerning the unique vision calling and mission the father has given you it requires listening to god from within yourself and understanding how he has uniquely made you knowing your personality temperament likes and dislikes thoughts and feelings all contribute to your discovery so if the true self is described as being in a loving, a unique loving union with God that leads you to understand the depths of how he made you and your personality and your temp temperament, and then out of this loving union with God, you can communicate with him, you can hear from him, uh, you can discern his desires for your life and then live out of those desires, the opposite is true for the false self. Someone who lives out of the false self bases their entire being on what others think and how they can perform to meet those standards that others put in place. They fail to explore the deep pain within and instead of exploring it, they stuff it down even further, only to live in a way where their actions further enforce a life that prevents them from feeling that deep pain within and ultimately healing from it. Consequently, this way of living prevents them from truly hearing from God and living out of the good life he desires for all of us. And Peter and Jesus are perfect examples of this dichotomy of the true self versus the false self. Jesus was able to live out of his true self. He was able to control himself in the worst of situations. And well, Peter went off the rails. And not only did he slice off someone's ear, he later denies Jesus three times, losing any semblance of control he seemingly had left. And so how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus live? out of the true self, which allowed him to exhibit total self-control. Well, first off, I would highly recommend everybody go back and study EHS by Pete Scazzaro, as that book will provide greater detail than what I'm going to share with you today. But for the purposes of today, what I'm about to share should reinforce what we've already learned and also provide some help for those who are desiring the fruit of self-control to appear in your life and also knowing who you truly are, your true self, as the two go kind of hand in hand. Remember that this scenario, this story, occurred just after Jesus came out of perhaps his most intense time spent with the Father in prayer. And during that intense time of prayer, Jesus modeled two important qualities for a person who lives out of their true selves. These two important qualities that anyone who lives out of their true self possesses, and that's honesty with the Father and a death to self-will. I'm going to say that again. The two important qualities that someone who lives out of their true self possess are honesty with the Father and a death to self-will. So let me explain. First, honesty. Jesus prays in the garden, My Father, if it be possible, may this cup be taken from me. Being brutally honest with the Father that he prefer not to have to die. How honest with God are you? How honest with God are you? Do you let God truly see who you are and share with him how you truly feel inside? Or do you cover it up? Keep in mind, we can use false piety to cover up how we truly feel. And I'm sure you guys all know this. But maybe when you're angry or you're feeling hatred towards someone, you get to that place where you go to God in prayer. Oh, God, help me. I'm so angry at this person. But I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't hate this person. Please help me not hate them. 
let me think only good thoughts about them. And, and you pray that because you don't want to feel that way, obviously, towards that person. But you also pray that prayer to maybe push those feelings deep down inside. And, and so that you don't actually have to explore those feelings or the why behind why you feel that way about that particular person. And then you pray that prayer. Maybe some of you do it often and it pushes those feelings down for a time until they pop up again. And Jesus shows us in this most intimate prayer with the Father that it's honesty, not false piety that leads to your true self. He doesn't beg for his thoughts or his feelings to go away, but is rather vulnerable and honest about how he truly feels with his dad, indicating the loving relationship that he had with his father. So if we are able to be honest with the father in prayer, that will help lead to a greater relationship with God, ultimately leading us more towards becoming who we truly are or becoming our true selves. The second thing is Jesus modeled a death that must occur in all of our lives, which is this, dying to what you want and what you desire that leads to giving yourself over to what God wants and desires for your life. You can even think of it like a movement of your will to be in line with the Father's will. Remember what Jesus prays, my Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And Jesus dies to what he wants, or at least what he would prefer, showing us that it takes a death of our desires and wants so that we can begin to desire what the Father wants and then live out of those desires. And make no mistake, it's also so that our desires will be molded into the Father's desires for our lives and they will become one. Not just that we will dreadfully live out this life, live out this life that He desires for us, not liking or wanting it at all, but that our will and our desires will become one with the Father's and we will... Uh, desire to live out that life that he wants for us and it will become what we want for ourselves. And this death that Jesus modeled, this death of sorts occurred in the garden that ultimately led to Jesus's death on the cross, which is a death that he died so that we could live, giving us the ability to also die to ourselves and live unto God and to find and live out of our true selves, which in the end, leads to us having self-control. So as I close, I'm going to quote a verse for you. I'm going to kind of sum up the entire Living Fruit sermon series with this, and I think it's a perfect analogy. Um, Jesus says, uh, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so as you know, fruit comes from a seed. A seed is planted in the ground, it dies, and then it gives birth to a tree, and that fruit is, is then budding on the leaves of that tree. And here we have the Living Fruit Sermon Series and the fruit of the Spirit that we all want to appear in our lives, but ultimately what I shared with you about dying to ourselves to produce uh, that fruit of self-control that comes from knowing our true self. Here's the thing. A death to ourselves must occur for all of the fruit of the Spirit to begin to bud on the trees of our lives. I'm going to say it again. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remain, remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And eventually those seeds will give life 
to a tree that will produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And so maybe a final question for you all to ponder as we've gone through this sermon series is, what do you need to die to today in order that something is birthed in your life, in order that a fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, which is all of them, by the way, will be birthed in your life? Thank you guys for tuning in. And as always, may you go in the grace and peace and mercy of Jesus Christ.